So we're, uh, we're going to do chapter 14 this morning and hopefully get all the way through uh, chapter 15 and verse 13. So we're dealing here in these chapters, uh, starting in chapter 12, with a transformation, the transforming power of the gospel. The overriding theme of the book, I believe, is the gospel. And, um, and Paul's been through a lot of doctrine in the first 11 chapters. And now we have, um, uh, you know what, Gordy? Why don't you turn that fan off because it's going to raise hob of my pages here. Thank you. And um, in chapter 12, he started with issues that uh, each of us should be concerned about in our spiritual life. If we, if we believe what he presented in the first 11 chapters, and we believe the gospel and all the implications of the gospel. That's something that uh, I, was, I was very poor at for many years in my early Christian life, is understanding uh, the broad spectrum of what that gospel covers, including our behavior. And we've talked about that. If you're saved, it needs to show itself. And I realize everybody's at different growth points and different points of sanctification, but there, it should be, there should be evidence of salvation in your life in how you live your life and how you serve in your life. So uh, those things should be there, and that's what Paul is dealing with in chapter 12 and chapter 13. In chapter 13, um, uh, he, had, uh, he had some uh, different issues there that he dealt with. Uh, with our attitudes towards government, uh, the love, our love covering a multitude of sins, in other words, our love for the brethren, uh, the multitude of sins part was my, uh, my own input there, but our love for the brethren should cover a multitude of sins because our expectation is that their love for us is going to cover a multitude of sins because we, we all have those issues. But that should not destroy uh, the fellowship that we have in the body, because we are a family. The body of Christ here at Cornerstone Baptist Church is, is a family. We should look like a family. And then the third one was uh, lifestyle issues that dealt with the times. And he, uh, he told the, the, the church at Rome that they should understand the time that they're in. And I believe that time is eschatological. It's dealing with the present and the future and understanding what the present and the future is. And... As he addresses them, as all the New Testament books that got addressed concerning the times, they were in the times of the Gentiles. They were in the dispensation, if you will, of grace. They are under the institution of the local church, as well as we understand the universal church. But that's the time that they were in, and they were to understand that. Well, we're 2,000 years later, and guess what? We're in the times of the Gentiles. We're in the dispensation of grace. And we are uh, part of a fellowship of a church that, and, and a fellowship of believers. Uh, so we are it's in the institution of the church. So we're in the same situation that they were in. We need to understand that. And that's why when Pastor went through Matthew, I think it's Matthew 22 or 24, one or the other, uh, dealing with even the issue of wars and rumors of wars, they were presented there as, that's common. Matthew wrote that that is common. Jesus was speaking there. That's common. That's going to be there. Now, are we closer to the end than the church at Rome was? Of course we are. 
Are we closer today than we were yesterday? Absolutely we are. We understand that. But we want to be careful and understand the times we're in. We don't want to try to pinpoint something down as the issue that's going to bring about the end. Because we don't know that. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't know that. Only God the Father knows that when he's going to return and rapture the church out of here. The whole, the whole presentation of lifestyle by Paul here in 12, 13, 14, and 15 is that we should be living in such a manner that that doesn't matter to us. If, if we're raptured today, we're, we're, we are living in such a manner that we're prepared to be raptured today. We don't have to be raptured in shame. We don't have to be raptured being embroiled in uh, uh, a church controversy or being embroiled in, in issues within the family and stuff like that that would be uh, something of a shame. No, we, we conduct our life in such a manner and we conduct our life with other people in such a manner that God is pleased. And when that time comes for us to be raptured out of here, that's in God's hands and that'll be done. Here now in this in the chapter 14 and 15, he hones in on on uh, some particular issues. And these were issues that were in the Roman church. When any of these writers write, we look at those issues and realize that they can be in any church, and they can be in our lives. So that's why they're applicable to us. One was the issue of the condemnation of other believers. That's the first thing we're going to see. The second one is going to be causing brethren to stumble. Uh, what, and, and think about this, because I'm going to ask for, for you folks to give you some examples. I'm not a good example person. Uh, but some of you are. So we want examples of these kind of things. Uh, the issue of putting others first. You know, the old song, Jesus and others and you, you know. Uh, what a wonderful way to spell joy. And that should be evident in our life. And that's a challenge that he's giving them. And then the fourth one is receiving one another. There, you see, we, there shouldn't be anybody in this church that we don't receive as a brother or sister in Christ. And that there shouldn't be anybody in this church that we're at odds with and not on speaking terms or not on fellowship terms. Why? Because we're all part of a body. And if one of those fingers is out of whack, the body doesn't function as well. If a leg is out of whack, then it really doesn't function as well. So we understand that as a body, that that's how we're to, that, that's how we're to conduct ourselves. So let's, have, let's pray here, and then we're going to get into the first 12, 12 verses. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you so much, Lord, for the beautiful sunshine and the sky and a beautiful November day and the ones that uh, uh, we see coming ahead of us. And we're thankful to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the conference we just had with the NBA uh, men here and the wonderful preaching and the times of fellowship and the instructions. And what a great blessing that was and what a great time it is to see uh, other believers that we don't see very often. And to realize that, Father, we, uh, we are all in the same situation. We're in local churches, we're trying to serve, and we're trying to grow in our sanctification. And help us, Lord, today to uh, take these things to heart. Uh, help us uh, to understand, give me utterance. Uh, and, Father, we'll just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we look at the, the first things here, the Roman church was divided. And the divisions, the way they're broke down, and we're, I don't want to read every verse, but we will be reading some, was in, verse, in chapter 14, <coughs> excuse me, he starts out with, 
the issue of the weak in faith. And he's addressing the weak in faith. Then in chapter 15, he addresses the strong, those who are strong in faith. Now I'll tell you what, when I, when I started Romans, I dreaded getting to chapter 14. I felt, okay, anything else I felt somewhat able to deal with. But chapter 14 has been a chapter that I've just never really cared for and didn't understand. And I always despised the terms strong and weak. <clears throat> because when I try to analyze them, uh, we could go through and in every case, we could find somebody that we could say is stronger uh, in doctrinal issue than we are or somebody that's weaker, or somebody that's stronger in a practice than we are. And if you, if you went down, uh, I don't know, there'd be a, if you had a bottom segment of new Christians or young people or something, and you, you tried to rate them up, I think, how can Paul do that? But as you get into this, he has good reason for it. And he's dealing with these, these, these terms, of course, are, are our English uh, uh, translation terms, but he's dealing here with issues that are not doctrinal, they're not uh, an issue, especially an overriding issue of salvation, it, hasn't, it doesn't have to do with salvation or any of these major doctrinal issues, but it has to do with practice. And it has to do with the practice of people in the stage of life that they're in at that time. Now, I believe that the context would allow us to say that the weak, uh, if not all, were primarily... Jewish Christians. Now, this is a primarily Gentile church, but the Jewish Christians come in, <clears throat> and what are they dealing with as they come in? Just think about that before we even get into it. What kind of issues would they be dealing with that changed in their life? The stronger Christians, Paul says the term we, and we'll see that when we get to chapter 15, and he includes himself in that group. So I think it's safe to say that he's looking there based on these issues, that the strong would be the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers who had come to the point where they no longer dealt with or felt offended by the issues of eating practices and fest festival practices and things like this. Things that some people carried along with them as they came into uh, Christianity. Well, that's, that's true of all of us. And we're going to ask for some examples, so uh, you know, stick with me because... Uh, I really want you guys to participate in this. So that's who we're dealing with. So we get to verses 1 through 3, and the issue is what they're eating. Look with me. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, or the other weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So what he's getting to here right away is that their weakness in faith is causing them to have quarrels with, with other believers. And the quarreling that's taking place is dividing the church. And the, the, the last statement he made there, which is a statement that he'll stand on throughout this, is the fact that God has welcomed them. So God saved Mike. And God saved Grant. And we can go on down the line, Zobek and so on. And we can go down to people. Well, we're all sometimes different. 
And he's dealing with here with, with eating. Well, what, was, what would be the issue that the Jewish would have with eating and eating meat? No, go ahead. Okay, if it's offered as a sacrifice, what else? Pork. What else? Yeah. Blood. Pardon? Yes. Yes. Kosher. The way it was slaughtered. Now, when I worked uh, in the farm industry, I remember when Lana Lakes built a big slaughter plant. I think it was in Fort Dodge, Iowa, or just south of there somewhere. And when they built it, they built it so they could do kosher kill. And it was all Holstein steers. And Holstein steers are bigger than the colored cattle, so what they'd do is they'd walk them down this, this lane, and they got to the end of the lane, there was a conveyor belt that would catch them on the belly and take them off the ground, and then they'd slaughter them. So they had kosher, kosher kill. Well, I think what we're seeing here is we have, we have believers here who uh, uh, they, had, they had an issue with the Gentiles because the Gentiles and some of the Jewish saved they would, they would buy meat from markets that sold meat that had been offered to, to idols. And they viewed that as pagan. Now, maybe where they were in Rome, maybe they didn't even have accessibility to kosher meat. I don't know. So this was the issue that was taking place that they are quarreling over. And Paul identifies him here as being weak in faith and not understanding fully what transpired when Jesus got saved, or when Jesus uh, died for us and he saved us, and what fully transpired in our life. They didn't understand that. So they're still holding on to the, some of their, their age-old uh, practices that they thought were so important. Now, what, what happened in Acts chapter 10 concerning Peter? Anybody remember? In Acts chapter 10... Remember, Peter uh, was sleeping on the roof of his house, or a house. I don't remember for sure it was his, but he was sleeping on the roof of the house, and God put him into a deep sleep, and he, he, he lowered the, the, the sheet, remember? And on the sheet was all this stuff that was beyond clean to a Jewish person. And when Peter woke, he said, well, no, Lord, it's unclean. And, and God rebuked him and said, don't call unclean what I've said is clean. In other words, all this is now available to you. And, yes, Eric. Right, but the example. Yes, it was spiritualized. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But the issue there is it's clean. It can be eaten. Under the new covenant, it can be eaten. And the Jewish people here were, were, were not following that. And thus they were at odds. And the sad thing is, as we go on here, uh, in verse 3, the verb is despise. He said, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. In other words, the Jews who were, were not willing to, to follow that practice, um, the Gentile believers, and even maybe some of the Jewish people who uh, uh, had come to the point of, of being able to participate in that, that they were, they were, they were despising, and that, that verb, their despise, uh, can mean a reject with contempt. In other words, it's a real contemptuous view that they had of those believers which, whom Paul was calling weak. Now, being weak in the faith, 
does not mean you're not saved. Being weak in the faith is not necessarily a big negative term. It's the term used here for comparison, but it's understanding who you are and where you are. And we have to understand that same thing as we deal with fellow people here, don't we? Because there may be some here that don't like to eat certain things. How many like to eat lutefisk? Well, I won't invite you to my house for lutefisk. Because I know you don't like it. Now, it's not a spiritual thing. I understand that. But the issue is, that's the kind of thing that we even want to be aware of in our midst. And we'll get into more of that in just a minute as you give me your examples. So, who do we serve? Verses 4 through 9. Who are you? The context here is, is, is dealing with the weaker ones. And he says in verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So now it's going to be, it's, it's going to go to the issue of servitude. Who are we a servant to? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, when, when you have the issues between believers, you don't, you don't flame, you don't, you don't fan the flame. You don't try to create issues. You don't, you don't treat people with a spite. You understand that, okay, if, if I'm having these people over for a meal, uh, I might just have to serve vegetables because they're not going to eat meat. That may be the case. That's, that was was written here. Some eat only vegetables. So you do that. Why? Because of love for your brethren. You don't create an environment of contention because it's not necessary. And we are bondservants to Jesus Christ. Stand and fall. Christ uh, who we uh, stand in favor with, or we can fall out of favor with, is, is the one who's in charge of this. And he's in charge of every one of us. So if, if, you're, if you're faithful and you're Bible studying, or any of us, uh, me too, not just you, uh, corporate you, but if, if we're faithful in these things in our own life, our sanctification should grow. That's why it's important to be under the preaching of the word. It's real important to be under the preaching of the word. As often... It's possible. It was a blessing yesterday with some of the preaching that took place because it helped in areas that I hadn't really thought of. <clears throat> and that's a blessing because that's how we grow in sanctification. That's what, remember Romans 12, 1 and 2, what he's talking about, I beseech you. And how do you, how do you grow in these things? By the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. It's a change in how we think because we've had a change in our status. We are no longer lost and part of the world. We are saved and we're part of a remnant, a small remnant of believers that God has set aside for himself. We need to appreciate that and understand that, and we need to uh, present ourselves in a, in, a, in, a, in a way. Because conscience is still an important thing. He's mentioned conscience several times as we went through Romans. And he says in verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And he closes that out down in, the, down in verse uh, 8. For if we live, we live in the, to, to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
So the whole issue here that he's covering is that we are slaves to Jesus Christ. And as fellow believers in loving one another, we will be conscious of these things. What days do you think they are talking about? Sabbath. Sabbath. Anything else? Festival days. So some of the Jews hung on to this. Now, let me ask you here. Are, is there anything come to mind in your mind where this would apply? Because we don't deal with Jewish people in our church. We don't deal with festival days uh, like they did under the Old Covenant. And, uh, and uh, pretty much uh, everybody, is, if not doesn't eat meat, they aren't offended by people that eat meat and so on and so forth. So how do we apply that today? Yeah. Or are you going to have a response? Right, and I think about, I came out of a Lutheran church, and I got saved as a late teen, and I can remember going back to church, I took my Bible with me, and I was going to watch from the Bible what the pastor was preaching. It didn't match up real well. And uh, just doing that, I didn't have to say anything to other people. All of a sudden, pressure came down on me. Matter of fact, the pastor ultimately asked me to leave because it was problematic. And I think back to that same church, and later on, there was other people uh, in that church who were saved, but they never left. They were very attached uh, to the liturgy. They were very attached uh, just the way church was conducted they were very attached to those things that I had no attachment to. Matter of fact, I was glad to get rid of them. So that was a difference. So then how do we treat each other? And uh, some, Ginny would know one, Ethel Haugen uh, was one, that uh, very dearly held on to those things, not as her salvation, but she felt very comfortable with those as part of her practice. I did not. You know, I remember I grew up uh, playing uh, cards on the free side. We played Rook and we played Whist. So that Whist would be with playing cards, if you don't know what that is. And we just had these friendly games, and they were regular. I mean, at least a couple times a month we get together and play cards, uh, one or the other. My mom's side now, which I was drawn to, and they were the ones who were saved. My mom's side, you wouldn't have a, you wouldn't have a playing card in the house. And they play Rook, though. 
And when my wife and I got married, and we, we pretty much aligned ourselves with my mom's side of the family, well, I didn't have playing cards in our apartment and in our first house that we bought. Because when grandpa and grandma would come over, or uncle would come over, or whatever, I didn't want them setting out or something and them seeing them because I knew it would be an offense to them. Now, later on, that loosened up, and we, as a family would still play games and stuff like that. We don't do it much anymore. But we would, we would play those cards, either one, because it wasn't offensive to me. But it was offensive to them. So then how do you deal with that? Well, I wasn't going to go over to my grandpa and grandma, especially my grandma, and tell her where she was wrong and that she should have playing cards in her house too, just like I said. Do so when we come over, we could play. That would have been wrong. That would have been exactly what he was talking about. Now, those are two examples I can think of from my background that would be offensive in some respects, but it's how you deal with them. And that's what Paul is trying to get to here. Eric, I see you're all ready to raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just so everybody knows, we do not hold that position. You're going to hell if you're not an adult baptized. So, I, absolutely, and that's why I'm saying there's a lot of those kind of things that we have to be aware of. I'd love to see. What about a Jerusalem assembly? When do they have their church service? Some of you have been there. Saturday. Saturday. Not on Sunday. Are we to tell them, well, that's wrong because you should meet on the first day of the week? No. They're, they're, they're doing what they feel in their conscience is the best thing to do in their environment. And the thing, thing that's going to work best are the people that they, that they are trying to uh, reach for Christ. So let's, let's go on here and finish uh, up here in verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> we'll, we'll read verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. What does that mean? I believe Christ died not only for our sins, but he died to enslave us to himself. So we are to be enslaved to Christ. And how did, how did Christ conduct his life? We're to seek to be Christ-like, and that's what Paul, I think, is, is uh, saying there. Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, verse 10 and 12, he goes on here. And both parties are engaged in activity that Paul is saying belongs to God. And uh, so let's take a look here. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will, still, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So... The end result here is, and, and he dealt with this in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 3 and others, every believer will be giving account of himself. The Lord will judge the decisions that people make. That's not for us to judge. Now, we're not talking about doctrinal issues. That's different. We're not talking about the issues of, 
of what is true salvation. That's different. If there's differences there, there needs to be uh, a certain level of confrontation because we're defending doctrines that God has established and set down. That's why Paul went through the first 11 chapters with, with all the doctrine, doctrinal issues and dealt with them. But these are issues of practice that, you know, I, I remember Mennonites that I uh, worked with over by Dodge Center. And there, each church, uh, there's a bishop, uh, so there's some authority comes down, but each church votes on things. They voted to have radios. So then they're allowed to have radios for weather purposes and stuff. Well, then that got to the point where it was abused a little bit, so they voted them out. <laughs> you know, and then they, they brought them back in later, but with certain parameters of use. Well, that's their, that's their choice. And they are, they are saved by faith. They had good salvation testimonies. We're, we're very good friends with them. But I wouldn't invite them to my house and have the radio on or the TV on, or anything like that. Why? Because it could be offensive. And at the same time, we could say that they're weak in the faith, not understanding that everything is free to us, quote-unquote, everything. But that's not the issue. The issue is being an offense to somebody who's a like brother, an offense to somebody who God has chosen, just like he chose me, for salvation. And that, I think, is a real crux here, is understanding that we are elect by God. And every saved person has been elect by God. And because of that, we need to treat each other like we're fellow elect believers. And I think that's what Paul's alluding to here. <clears throat> and the fact that we're going to give our, an account to God of, uh, of our life before him. So, any other examples that anybody can think of before we uh, go on to the end of chapter 14? We'll take a quick one or two. Yes, Kelly. Yeah. Yep. Right. I know Margaret and I enjoyed Mennonite services that we went to. Very much so. <clears throat> so, anyway, we'll go on here to, to uh, the second point. Do not be a stumbling block, verses 13 through 23. And we're going to do this one quickly and move on so we get, we get done uh, next week. Therefore, of course, we always have to kind of Look around and see what it's there for, don't, don't we? But he says here, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, we've kind of talked about this, but what's a stumbling block? He, uh, Paul talked about this in Corinthians. Now, remember, the Corinthian letters were written uh, three to five years earlier than this. And he dealt with stumbling block in, in Corinthians, too, 1 Corinthians. Anybody? Wayne, you look like, there you go. Okay, we don't, <clears throat> we, have, we all have a conscience. 
And there are certain things that we're going to have a different conscience on. And my conscience isn't right and yours is wrong. And conscience can also be trained. And with the unsaved world, we know that conscience can be seared. It can be destroyed pretty much from, uh, from their life. But there's a conscience there. And if we're consciously aware of somebody's issue that, that they have concerns about and they have questions in their mind about whether it's sin or not, you don't bring that before them. You don't put them in a position that forces them to make a decision that might embarrass them if they agree with you or make a decision that might anger them and cause a separation. You don't do that. And he goes here in verse 14 because he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. And that's quite a statement because we can all stand here and say, especially when it comes to meat, there's nothing unclean. But if there's somebody that thinks it's unclean, to them it's unclean. And if we try to push that issue, we're putting that stumbling block before them, and they're going to trip and fall. Matter of fact, one of the concerns that he addresses is you might destroy their faith. You might destroy their faith. Now, I'll tell you one. In the early days of this church, uh, and the only one here that would know this one is Lyle Hinkle, um, we we had a single guy that got saved. And uh, he was coming to church, and he had dealings with, uh, at that time there was uh, no deacons, it was, uh, help me out, Lyle, three trustees, thank you. There's trustees. And one of those trustees, my, this, this person had dealings with, and found out a practice in their life, uh, that would be contrary to what any of us would accept or believe. Well, that person, when they saw that, and they, somehow there was a dealing there, I don't know exactly what the dealing was, they left the church. And they were gone for a couple of years. They even tried to go back into some of their life of sin, and uh, that didn't work real well, because uh, God was judging, which was, which, which was good. It was a good proof text for salvation, But anyway, that person left for a while. It destroyed their faith. And this person in the church, ultimately, they had moved away, so they're gone. And this person did come back. But that's the example I think of in the church, because that was very real to me because of who the person was. And uh, that's the kind of thing that we want to avoid. And I think that's the kind of thing that Paul is dealing with here. You are, in verse 15, the second part, he says, you are no longer walking in love when you do that. You're grieving the brethren. You're not walking in love. So I'm going to give you six quick things here. In verse 13b, he gives a warning about stumbling blocks. We read that. In verse 14a, he says nothing is unclean. We read that. And then in verse 15b, he says, don't destroy one from whom Christ died. These person, this person is saved. Don't destroy their faith. Now, as Paul is, is wont to do, he goes down a little lower in verse 20, and he reverses this order. In verse 20a, he says, don't tear down the, the work of God. In verse, I'll, I'll read that. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. 
Don't tear it down. Don't destroy it. Then he says in 20b, again, all things are clean. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. But all things are clean. And then in verse 21, he says, don't do anything to cause a believer to stumble. So he's got two sets there. You know, the order's reversed, but he says it twice. But in between there is the key part of that. Read with me verses 17 and 18, because he says this. For the kingdom of God... Now, if you're saved, practically, you're a part of the kingdom of God. Pardon me, positionally, you're part of the kingdom of God. Practically, you're still here on earth. We're still living here. But we are citizens of heaven, and we are ambassadors for God here. That's, again, getting back to understand salvation, and where does that put us? Where, where are we in this whole thing? And he says here, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. We are to edify one another, and that takes effort. But when you look at righteousness, joy, and peace, those things are only going to be discernible as the Spirit of God is at work in our life. We all fail at times. But you can't look at a person's one incident. You have to look at a person's life. And if they're exhibiting righteousness and peace and joy in their life, those are emblematic of the kingdom of God. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's one of the nice things with 150 men here the last two days is you walk around and most everybody's got a smile on their face and they're joyful and cheerful. Even the ones who are going through real trials and tribulations. Why? Because that's given them by the Spirit of God. So the key verses there in 14, we are to act like where we are positionally in the kingdom of God, even though we're practically still here on earth. We're to act in a way that's emblematic of God's kingdom and Jesus Christ. So let's, let's go on to chapter 15 here, unless somebody has a, a thought or comment or question or whatever. In chapter 15, he starts out and he says, we, the Gentile, and I believe, uh, you know, Paul obviously is including himself, so there's Jewish believers there that would be in the the same uh, ballpark as he is. And we, Gentiles and Jewish believers like Paul, Paul, ones who recognize that Christ fulfilled the law. Now, we dealt with that a few chapters back. I'm not going to go back there. But Christ fulfilled the law. So there's a freedom now in our Christian lives. They are able to eat meat, even if it's offered to idols. They are able to, uh, uh, you know, to uh, eliminate their holy days and festivals if they want to. That is, they're free to do that because they're free in Jesus Christ. So he says in these first verses of chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What's he talking about there? What's he dealing with? In uh, verse 3, when it says, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. Who are the pronouns? Who, who Who do the pronouns belong to? 
that quote um, comes from Psalm 69. And here it would be, you could say, Jesus, the reproaches of those who reproached you, that's God the Father, fell on me, the Son. Why? Because Jesus willingly gave himself up as a sacrifice. He completed all the sacrificial system. He completed the whole law. Now, that, he didn't eliminate the law. That's still there. It's still a schoolmaster for us. But he completed it. He fulfilled it. And he's saying that the people who crucified him and treated him the way they did is because they hated God. They rejected God. They rejected God's plan. Now, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement because if you're a Jewish person and you see that, and you think of your background, your family background, if you will, now some uh, 25 years ago when Jesus was crucified, and you think of that and to realize that what he's saying there is, they didn't hate me, they hated God. They, they hated the one who sent me. They rejected the Messiah because they were rejecting God's plan. And he's saying here, don't do that. Don't put yourself in that position. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And again, he comes back to, to the fact of renewing our mind. We need to renew our mind through the scriptures. That should be an automatic part of our life. <clears throat> the whole Old Testament concerning salvation history has been fulfilled, but it still plays a central role in us, in understanding that history and our responsibilities as new covenant people. So as Gentiles, we were without hope, but through Jesus Christ, we were grafted in. Remember the picture there, the graft, the olive tree? Through, we were grafted in. As, as Jews rejected, rejected Jesus, they were, they, were, they were taken off, they were cut off, and Gentiles were grafted in who accepted Jesus. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. As Gentile believers, don't be so harsh on the weak Jewish brethren. Remember who you are. You were without hope. And the Old Testament scriptures will, will, will uh, carry that out. You were all without hope, but you were grafted in by the grace of God. Remember in chapter uh, 5, the, the, the umbrella of grace, I said, keep that in mind because that umbrella is going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger as we go through God's grace. It just covers a multitude of things. And we're not going to go back into that, although i got all kinds of thoughts that come to my mind about it. So understanding who they were was important. And then we end up here in, in, in uh, the next verses, and the issue is in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Unity. Unity. And let's finish up this last section. Um, I wasn't going to, but we got a couple of minutes. As unified Christians who are going to be conscious and understanding our brethren and who they are, and as much as possible understanding where there may be weaknesses or disagreements and how we deal with that, he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So he's talking about whom there? Pardon? Abraham and who? The whole Jewish people. 
God's truthfulness. It was, it was to the circumcised. He became a servant to the circumcised, Christ did. And, uh, and the promises given to the patriarchs, and that's what uh, Ryan was alluding to. Thank you. I, 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 I missed that. The patriarchs who would be Abraham. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. So now he's coming back. He's going from the, the Jewish believers who he's labeled as the weaker brethren. And now he's coming to the Jewish believers as weaker brethren and what they mean to the stronger believers. We as Gentiles, and pastor's real good about giving us this all the time, and our attitude towards the Jewish people, even our attitude towards what's going on now uh, in Israel, and the fact that we owe them everything. We owe them everything, starting with the patriarchs. And we as Jewish believers have been grafted in, and God has chosen to, that we can glorify him and he goes on, as it is written, now here's, here's a series of verses. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That comes from 2 Samuel 22, verse 10. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32. And then in 11 he says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That comes from Psalm 117. And then we get back to Pastor's book, Isaiah uh, 11. And Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And he gives a series of verses there to these Gentile believers for them to understand that their whole inheritance they owe to the Jews. So just because the Jews, when they get saved, are coming in with some baggage, don't be contentious towards them. Love them as brothers. Sacrifice as brothers. Don't be contentious. And the unity here is, is Paul is giving is, is so important. And he finishes off in verse 13. This is all about sanctification. May the God of hope fill you all, fill, fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this contentious thing that's taken on, there's the answer, the Holy Spirit, and submitting to the Holy Spirit's work in our life, that we may abound and grow. And we're all Gentiles here. But you know what? The issues he's talking about here, there's issues like that here of some kind. And we have to be careful that we don't allow them to rule in our life, okay? Anybody with a closing statement next week, we're finishing Romans. Yes, Ryan, absolutely. Now, along with that, the understanding here from Paul was the weak also had faith. It was errant, but they're still living by faith. And the, the strong had to understand that. But you're right. And that's the goal. The goal is over time, then hopefully the weak become the strong. I know for me, I think back to when we first came to church here, and I got put into all kinds of things, Sunday school teaching and leadership stuff. I had no business being in there. But in a new church, that's what happens, because that's what you have. You got few people to choose from. And thankfully, there were people who were patient with me and guided me along and brought me along into sanctification and growth 
So that, yeah, like what you're saying there, our faith grows. Okay, we're over time, so uh, before they just come and jerk me out, we'll uh, end there.